All right. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. We'll continue our series on using the law lawfully. And we're going to be looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll be looking at two laws today, hopefully, if we have enough time. <clears throat> Starting in Numbers 27, verse number 8, we're going to look at the law of inheritance. <clears throat> Numbers 27 and verse number 8. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, <clears throat> If a man die and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then ye shall give his inheritance to his brethren. And if he have, <clears throat> excuse me, if he have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance to his father's brethren. And if his father have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his kinsmen, that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it, and it shall be unto the children of Israel a statute of judgment, as the Lord commanded Moses. <clears throat> so this is the Old Testament law of inheritance. The Jews had what is known as a patrilineal system of inheritance, meaning it went from father to son. So their inheritance passed from the father to the son, to their son, to their sons, and that was the normal way that the inheritance uh, proceeded. Now, many times we look at that and think, well, that's just common sense. That's uh, the way most cultures have had uh, their inheritance laws in the past, but that's not exactly true. Uh, there's been many, many, many different forms of inheritance law throughout history and throughout human cultures. And even our our inheritance law... Excuse me, please. Do you mind? Right, even even our inheritance law is different right now in the United States because we don't we don't have a patrilineal system. Our inheritance right now, the, the law now is that it can go to anyone, so it's it's not required to go to from father to son. It just goes from the one person to their next of kin, uh, whether that's sons, daughters, uh, brothers, sisters, whatever. Uh, or through whoever they designate in their will. And so we have a, a much broader system of inheritance, a, m a much more liberal system of inheritance uh, than the Jews had, and then that God set up for them. But this was what God set up for them. That's what they had. There's nothing wrong about it. It's just that's the system they had. Other countries, there are some countries that have a matrilineal inheritance system. It goes from the mother to the daughters, and it passes through the, the lineage of the females instead of through the lineage of the males. Uh, there's others that have sort of a, a blend where it starts out as matrimonial, but it goes from the mother to her sons. And then it goes from their, their wives, pass it down to her sons. And so it goes from mother to son, but it actually belongs to the wife who marries that son. And then it goes to the sons of that uh marriage, but really it goes to the wives of the sons of that marriage, and it's, it's kind of a convoluted thing. But there's lots and lots of different systems out there uh, for inheriting property. Well, what God set up for the Jews was that it was to be patrilineal, going from father to son to son, and so forth and so on. Now, he had a situation uh, with the daughters of Zelophehad back in what's 
what we're reading about here in Numbers 27. And let's go up to verse number 1. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, and Milcah, and Tirzah. How would you like to have uh, the name Hogla as a girl? That'd be, that'd be terrible uh, in English. Of course, it didn't mean the same thing in uh, Hebrew as it would have meant in English. Alright, so anyway, that's the name of the daughters. And they stood before Moses, and before Eleazar the priest, and before the princes and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin, and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away among his family, because he hath no son? Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. So God established an exception to their patrilineal system of inheritance. That exception was, if a man has no sons, then his inheritance passes to his daughters. And then he explained the rest of the exceptions. If there are no sons and no daughters, then it goes to uh, his brethren. And if there's no brethren, it goes to his father's brethren. If his fathers have no brethren, then it's just whoever is the next of kin, uh, the closest kinsman to him, that's who is to inherit it. So that's the Old Testament law of inheritance. Now, if we look at a New Testament application of that, there is no direct application of this to Gentile believers. There's no indication that this was a universal law, even you know, said to be that in the Old Testament. There's no indication that it was ever uh, reestablished for Christians in the New Testament. This is just something that God set up for Israel uh, for their specific situation. Uh, however, it, it does tell us that a patrilineal inheritance is not unethical. Because if it was unethical, obviously, it wouldn't be something that God had established. So it tells us that those nations that have a patrilineal inheritance where daughters do not typically inherit from their father's inheritance. Uh, they only inherit if there are no sons available. That type of a system is not unethical. Many in today's country, culture would say, oh, that's unethical because that's mistreatment of women. Well, it's, it's not unethical. Uh, <clears throat> the idea was that the uh, daughters were expected to marry and they would inherit whatever their husbands inherited from their husband's father rather than inheriting from their own fathers. Uh, that was the idea. Uh, there were exceptions, obviously, because God set up an exception right here. But that was the general idea, was that the sons inherited from their fathers, the daughters were to marry and to inherit from their father-in-laws along with their husbands. Uh, and there's nothing unethical about that. Another thing that this gives us is it shows us another endorsement that God has made of private ownership of property. And if we notice in this law of inheritance, there was no provision for an inheritance being claimed by the government. It doesn't say if he if he has no brethren, 
For if his father hath no brethren, then the government shall have uh, the ownership of that land. The land never went to the government. The land always went to someone in that tribe, someone that was related to the, the deceased. That's who inherited. No, no uh, provision at all for the land ever going to the government. The land belonged to the people. It did not belong to the nation. So it's individuals that own the land. So God endorsed private property. So that's the Old Testament law of inheritance. Any comments or questions on that one? It's pretty simple and straightforward. Do we know if uh, there was more than one son? Did they split it or the old one get it? Yeah, it's not set up in the law as to how the division was to be made among the sons. But we can see several references in Scripture to the firstborn getting a double portion and then the rest of the sons giving, getting an even portion. So if a man had four sons, he would split his inheritance five ways. And the firstborn son would get two of those. And then the other three would each get one portion. And he would have to, the one he got to, would have to take care of when they got old? Right, yeah, the, the firstborn's responsibility was to his parents and take care of his parents. His father passed away, his responsibility was to the, the widow and take care of her and and so he was to see to all the family he became basically the the leader of the family the patriarch of the family when the father passed away so i can tell my brother when my mom dies that i get two shares and he only gets one right you can tell him you that tell yeah him. <laughs> i don't think he'll agree to it but you can tell him that <laughs> all right so that's the law of inheritance that is the last of the positive commandments that we're going to be looking at. There are several in the list beyond this one, but we had already covered them, uh, lumping them in with other laws that we had looked at. So we have finished the positive commandments. We're now going to look at the negative commandments. The first one of those is found in Exodus chapter 20. So let's turn to Exodus 20. Familiar passage. This is the listing of the Ten Commandments. All right, so Exodus chapter 20, verse number 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And so this is the prohibition against idolatry. So the Old Testament command is that the Jews were forbidden from worshiping anyone or anything but God, as the only object of their worship was to be God. The punishment for idolatry uh, was death. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17, verse number 2. Deuteronomy 17, verse number 2. If there be found among you within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman that hath wrought, wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them, 
either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true, and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought in Israel, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman, which have committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and thou shalt stone him, stone them with stones till they die. So the punishment for idolatry was death by stoning. So you have the command against idolatry, punishment is death by stoning, and beyond just the punishment for idolatry, it was also a capital offense if anyone suggested to another Jew, hey, let's let's look at going and serving this other idol here. Not if they actually, it did not require them to actually go and serve the idol and go and worship the idol. If they merely suggested that they should go and worship the idol, that was punishable by death also. If we go to Deuteronomy 13, just a few pages back there, or a few swipes back if you have the Bible on your phone. Deuteronomy 13, verse number 6. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from, one, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth, thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him. Neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Okay, so here, just suggesting to another Jew, hey, let's go and, and look at this, uh, idol over here and, and go worship an, another god instead of Jehovah. Just that suggestion was a capital offense. Uh, so idolatry was capital offense. Idolatry was such a serious crime, just suggesting that the Jews should worship another god was also a capital offense. Uh, now we're not going to look at it because we looked at it previously, but uh, a lot of people read this and say, you know, oh, this, this is advocating just uh, vigilante justice that someone suggests uh, going and worshiping another idol you just turn around and, and kill him right then or if you want to murder someone all you have to do is murder him and then claim you know, he suggested that we go worship false gods so there, therefore my killing is justified uh, if you read just this passage it seems that way but when you compare it to Deuteronomy 17 where it's mandated that they have a trial and inquire diligently and make absolutely certain and have at least two witnesses uh, that all applies to all of the trials for idolatry. That was the, the pattern they were to follow. In fact, for all capital punishment, the Bible said that uh, no one was to be put to death from just one witness, but only at the mouth of two or three witnesses was someone to be put to death. And we looked at that before, so we're not going to go into that more. So this is the prohibition against idolatry. Now, one interesting thing, we'll look at Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 3 through 6, where we started from, talked about visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. That verse is often misapplied. 
that people take that and say, oh, they apply that to just about every sin under the sun. And say, okay, if you are if you sin in this area, God's going to visit that iniquity onto your children and make them prone to sin in that area too. And they they you know, do that with everything. You know, drunkenness. If you're, if you're drunk, your kids are going to likely be drunks too. You know, whatever. That punishment of visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children is only associated with idolatry in the Bible. Everywhere you see that phrase, it's only associated with idolatry. Those that it's saying that those that turn from idol or from God unto idols will suffer punishment. If their children continue to hate God and serve the idols, they will suffer punishment both for their own sins as the children and for the sins of their parents. And that will continue under the third or fourth generation. However, verse number six tells us that if they will repent, they will be forgiven and welcomed back, because he talks about showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. And mercy means they're guilty. They've committed the crime, but they turn from their hatred of God, and they turn back to God in love, and God shows mercy unto them and forgives them, and he no longer uh, administers that punishment to them uh, that was promised under the third and fourth generation of the idolaters. So that's what that phrase is talking about. It's just talking about idolatry. Uh, parents that turn to idolatry, their children are going to suffer if the children continue in that idolatry, the children are going to suffer both for their own idolatry and suffer the consequences of their parents' idolatry, and that will continue for multiple generations. All right, so that's the Old Testament command. Now let's look at a... If I can ask you, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I could have my timeline wrong, but as far as an example of that, from generation to generation of idolatry, I mean, when they had, when Moses had led them out of Egypt, they were in, in the wilderness. And there was a couple of times when Moses and God had to chastise the people, you know, and then they mm -hmm. were out in the day for how many generations before they actually made it to the promised land? Well, it was only, it's only one generation. Okay, okay yeah. right. I was wondering about my timeline was off. Right. But as far as the Canaanites now, mm -hmm. that, those people, for generation after generation, right. Know, God's people had always had to, you know, go in and destroy the Canaanites from their land. From right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the sin of the Canaanites, um, God allowed it to go 400 years extra because He brought Abraham into the Promised Land and He told Abraham, "I'm I'm going to wait another 400 years before I punish the Canaanites and give them an." Yeah, their sin is not yet full. Uh, so we'll wait until they their sin gets full. It's going to be another 400 years, and then I'll bring your children back from captivity and destroy the Canaanites. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the, as far as uh, uh, a good example of the punishment being continued on to the third and fourth generation, the best one that I can think of is Ahab, uh, with Ahab going to Jezebel, and then if you study Ahab's line, it, it went about four generations of descendants from Ahab continuing in that idolatry, and the punishments just got worse and worse and worse for those four generations until God eventually wiped out the entire line. Uh, and that was with Jehu coming and uh, killing a whole bunch of them. Anyway, so you had uh, continuing multiple generations there with, uh, with Ahab. <clears throat> All right, so let's go on to a New Testament application of this. 
Uh, first thing we can see in the New Testament is that the command against idolatry is universal. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. And it goes on with a lot more in the list. But idolaters are listed in this list of those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the sin of idolatry is a universal uh, sin, the prohibition against idolatry is universal. Everyone that's ever lived, everyone that ever will live, is supposed to obey this command to worship God and God alone and not worship any other gods. Guilt, being guilty of that sin is uh, enough to prevent you from access to heaven. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 21, verse number 8. We can see that again. Of course, this is the uh, oh. this verse is known for saying that liars will go to hell, and it's got the little kid song about uh, liars going to hell because of Revelation 21:8. Uh, but uh, it's also a verse that talks about idolaters being cast into hell. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. So again, we see this is for all idolaters everywhere in the world. Uh, they're all held guilty for their idolatry. And then if we go one more chapter over, Revelation 22, and verse number 5. And there shall be no night there. Oops, that's the wrong verse. 15, sorry, read that wrong. Revelation 22, verse number 15. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers, and murderers and idolaters, okay, and that's outside of the kingdom of God. Okay, so idolatry is a it's a universal command. It applies to every individual that's ever lived on the face of the earth. They're all commanded to abstain from idolatry. Not only is it a universal command, though, it's also applied specifically to Christians. Let's go to First John chapter five. What did you say? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21. 1 John 5, 21. And this is how John closes his first letter here. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So specifically command to Christians to stay away from idols. And then we can go also to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, which the Corinthians were Gentiles. And so this is a command specifically to Gentile believers. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 7, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So we're not to be idolaters. Let's go down to verse number 14. Wherefore, my dearly, dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So again, we have command directly to Gentile believers saying we're to abstain from idolatry. Now, of course, most of us have no problem with that. We were born and raised in America. It's a highly Christianized culture. 
Uh, we don't have this tendency for idol worship that's prevalent in many other cultures. However, let's look at 1 John 5 again and verse number 21. Or not 1 John 5, sorry. Colossians 3 and verse 5. Can't read my own notes this morning. Colossians 3 and verse number 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, and so in the New Testament, God equates covetousness with idolatry and says they are the same thing. So we don't have a problem with going out and worshiping these idols of stone and wood and gold and silver and all that. We do suffer a good bit from covetousness in the American church. Uh, and we are told in Scripture, covetousness is the same thing as idolatry. And when we have the commands to Christians to stay away from idolatry and to flee idolatry, that's a command to stay away from and to flee covetousness. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 5. For this you know, <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 5, For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So again, we see covetousness and idolatry are equated. They're said to be one and the same thing. And the reason for that is given in 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse number 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. For the love of money, that's the same thing as covetousness. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so Christians are forbidden multiple times in Scripture to stay away from idolatry, and we are told that idolatry and covetousness are the same thing. Therefore, we are to stay away from covetousness. This, by the way, is why a lot of preachers, when they're talking about the commands for against idolatry, uh, they'll say an idol is anything in your life that comes before God. But the reason they can say that is because God equates idolatry and covetousness. And if you covet something else more than you covet being with God, then that something else is an idol in your life. So if you're willing to sacrifice worshiping God in order to pursue money, then money is an idol in your life. If you're willing to sacrifice serving God in order to pursue fame you know, in sports or uh, at work or anything like that, just to get that reputation as someone that is, is going to be out there no matter what, even if it means skipping out on church and you know, not participating in things you're supposed to be doing, that's covetousness. You're coveting that fame, coveting that position. Uh, that is something that is condemned as idolatry. So that's the basis for preachers saying that an idol is anything that comes before God in your life because God equates covetousness and idolatry. Now, in the New Testament, the punishment for idolatry is different. Uh, the Old Testament, the punishment was death. 
That is changed in the New Testament. It's changed specifically for Gentile believers. Punishment for idolatry among the church is excommunication. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22. First Corinthians 16, verse number 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. That basically means let him be cursed forever. And so he's to be kicked out of the church. He's to be made a curse. He's here to have nothing to do with that man who does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, in the Old Testament, the uh, turning to idols was referred to as hating God and turning to <clears throat> idols. And so here we have, if you don't love God, so you're hating God, then you're going to turn to idols. That man is to be anathema maranatha. That's, that's the most severe curse that you have anywhere in the Bible. It uh, translates basically into the, the cursing of death. You know, it's, it's, it's the worst curse that uh, God could bring against someone. So that's the way you're to treat that person. He is uh, completely anathema to you. You don't want to have anything to do with him. He's to be kicked out of the church. We can see this again in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 8. Galatians 1, 8. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Okay, so anyone that's preaching a different gospel, they're not preaching uh, the true gospel of Christ, they're to be accursed, they're to be kicked out of the church, and we're to have nothing to do with them. Now there is a... Uh, provision in Titus chapter 3. Let's turn there. There's a provision in Titus chapter 3 for trying to reason with someone who has accepted this uh, false teaching about God and, and has turned from God and is now turning toward uh, a false God. Titus 3 verse number 10. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Okay, so you take the time to admonish him, say what you're doing is wrong. This is not what the Bible says. We're not supposed to do that. God warns us to stay away from idolatry and serve only the true God. So you try that. You do that the first time. You do it a second time. And then after that, you reject him and have nothing to do with him and are to treat him as if he is a heathen man and not a Christian. So that's the punishment for idolatry in the New Testament. It's excommunication from the church and uh, having nothing to do with that individual anymore. All right, that's the command on idolatry. Any comments or questions on that one? Right, we will stop there for today. Next week we will probably have a Christmas-themed Sunday school lessons, since it's going to be uh, our Christmas service that week. The week after that, we will not be having a class in here on the 23rd or the 30th. So we're not going to have Sunday school classes on the 23rd or the 30th, uh, which is good because I won't even be here the 23rd. I'll be 
in Georgia. Uh, but then we'll come back in the new year and we'll continue looking at the negative commandments from the Old Testament. But we will come here next Sunday. Yes, ne next Sunday we'll be in here. Yeah. Okay. And then the two Sundays following that we'll be meeting downstairs. All right. Only one service, right? right, there's only one service in the morning <coughs> those yeah, next two Sundays. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Dad, why don't you close us in prayer today?